My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in South Florida. Uh, let's go over some lien and bond rules and exceptions. So um, let's start with payment bond claims. How and when do I make a payment bond claim? So understand that a payment bond secures a leaner's right to payment in situations on private jobs when the job is bonded. Not every private job is bonded, but some are. Um, and most public jobs are bonded, but not every public job is in fact bonded. So when the bond exists, you have a right to make a claim on that payment bond. And the reason is, is that it keeps the property free and clear of liens. So your lien doesn't attach to the property, it attaches to the bond. How do you know if a job is bonded? Um, reference to that bond on public, on private jobs should be referenced in the notice of commencement. And on public jobs in Florida, where there may not be a notice of commencement, a copy of the bond is still supposed to be recorded in the public record. Now, uh, for all of you that use Sunray Construction Solutions, if you want to know if a job is bonded yourself, they will do the research for you. But if you ask them, they will be happy, I'm sure, to send you a copy of the notice of commencement or bond for you to verify it yourself. They have a crack team of researchers um, that can find all of the recorded documents applicable to your project. So let's go over the rules so everyone understands how to make a claim on a payment bond. So step number one, you need to serve a notice to contractor within 45 days of your first work. Now, the notice to contractor is a lot like a notice to owner. In fact, if you use Sunray, what they use is what's called a combined form. It combines the notice to owner form and the notice to contractor form. If you actually ever look at the form when they send you a copy, you'll notice that it actually is titled notice to owner slash notice to contractor. It covers both projects that you can lean, as well as projects that you have a claim against the payment bond. So this needs to be um, received no later than 45 days from your first work on the project. Now, there is one exception, and we're going to talk about several exceptions. But if you have a contract with the bonded contractor, you technically don't need to send this notice to contractor. So again, let's, let me make sure we're all on the same page. You're doing work on either a private project that has a bond, so the GC got a payment bond, or a public project in which the GC got a bond. And let's say you're the plumber and you have a contract with this bonded contractor. You technically do not need to serve this 45-day notice, this notice to contractor. My advice to you is you should absolutely do it. Our best advice to our clients and our most successful clients employ this advice is they set up a threshold in their office, whether it's $500, $2,000, $5,000, whatever number you want internally. And you just say every job over that amount, we're going to send a notice. Um, no questions asked. And the clients that we have, uh, our most successful clients in their ability to collect past due balances are ones that do that. They just follow a strict rule. They don't try to figure out, well, actually, I don't need it on this job. I need it on this job. So um, 
it's not it's not worth trying to to do that analysis. Um, just set a set a threshold and go with it. However, if something fell through the cracks and you realize, oh, we didn't send a notice on this job, just know that one of the exceptions in the lien law is that if you have a direct contract with the bonded contractor, you don't need to send this first 45-day notice. There are some other exceptions as well. If a notice of commencement is supposed to be recorded, but it's not, or if reference to the bond is not given in the notice of commencement, in the notice of commencement, there's a little spot that says um, who the surety is supposed to be. If the job is bonded, but that section is blank. Um, if on a public project, the bond is never recorded, um, or the lien or is not otherwise notified in writing of the existence of the bond. If those things happen, then the 45 days that you're supposed to send this notice doesn't even start to run. Let me give you a very specific example. We represented a sub subcontractor on a bonded public job. So he's the sub subcontractor. So he needed to send this 45 day notice. He didn't. Something happened in his office. Um, he was switching between one administrative assistant to another and they missed it. Fast forward to the end of the job. He's now demobilized from the job, job that started a year ago. He's owed $100,000. The subcontractor that owes him the $100,000 is now filed for bankruptcy. He didn't send his first notice. He comes to me and he says, Alex, I really screwed this thing up. We never sent our notice. Subcontractor went out of business. I have no lien rights. It's $100,000. I said, don't worry, let's do some research. We do some research and we learn that the job is bonded. It's a public job, but it turns out that number three on this list uh, didn't happen. Um, it was a public job, but the, but the contractor failed to record a copy of the bond. As such, the 45 days didn't even start to run on the first notice. Remember, we're done with the job. So what do we do? We immediately serve our notice to contractor. Um, the next day we serve our notice of non-payment. The day after that, we file our lawsuit. Fast forward to the end, about four months later, the client, uh, we successfully settle the case. He gets his $100,000, he gets all his legal fees, he gets all his interest because the contractor made a mistake and did not record a copy of the bond, which exposed them or their surety to having to um, be liable for this claim. So these are some exceptions that you need to be aware of and the reason I give you these examples is just because you think you may not have lien or bond rights, know that there are lots of exceptions in the lien law that are worth investigating because maybe in fact you do. So we talked about the first notice, 45 days. Let's talk about the next notice. Step two, serve the notice of non-payment within 90 days of your last work on the job. Remember that 90 days is not three months. I'm gonna let that sink in for a minute. Right? Some months have more than 30 days. Some months have fewer than 30 days. As a result, you should not be counting June 7th, July 7th. Um, you need to count the number of days. You count every day starting the day after your last day of work. Every day, including all weekends and legal holidays. On the 90th day, if the 90th day lands on a weekend uh, or legal holiday, it gets rolled to the next business day. That's how you count the 90 days. 
class work does not include punch list or warranty work. So if you finish work and then you go back and you're the painter and you touch up, it's not when you did the touch up, it's when you actually finish your work. That's when the 90 days start. Now, in October of 2019, which seems like eons ago, um, the notice of non-payment form changed. Sunray has all of the most current forms, um, but I remind everyone of this because even today, I am getting clients who are still using the old form. So the notice, and I'm gonna show you the form in, a, in just a minute. The notice must be under oath, unlike the old form, and it has to include um, the nature of the nature of the labor or services performed or to be performed, materials furnished or to be furnished, the amount paid on the account, the amount owed, and if known, the amount to become due. It also must include, um, must specify the portion of the amount claimed for retainage, if there is any. And here is what the form looks like. Um, and again, if you use Sunray, they have the, the proper form. Um, this form is substantially different than the old form, mainly because it has a lot more information and it is notarized. Um, again, we will provide this presentation to everyone, so uh, you will get this form. But again, if you use Sunray for your notice of non-payment, they're using this proper form in the state of Florida. Um, the reason this change was made is that in the lien law, if you included information improperly in your notice, uh, in your lien, your lien was fraudulent. That didn't exist for bond claims. This change now makes it such that improper or incorrect information in your notice of non-payment makes it fraudulent. It is a complete defense to a bond if it is determined that your notice of non-payment is fraudulent. And how is it determined fraudulent? They're using the same rule as the fraudulent lien rule, which is if it is willfully exaggerated in the amount, willfully includes a claim for work not performed or materials not furnished or prepared in a manner such that the notice was done with willful or gross negligence. Um, if those things are found by the court, then your notice of non-payment is no good. However, minor mistakes do not make itself, do not by itself make the notice of non-payment fraudulent. Um, and all the cases dealing with what a fraudulent lien are can be used to determine what a fraudulent notice of non-payment is. Aside from being fraudulent, notices that do not contain the required information or are not notarized and do not track this, the new form are probably going to be ineffective. And, I, and again, I bring all of this up because we still are finding today, years after the statute changed, that people are using the wrong form. So step three, file suit on the bond within one year of your last work. Um, so those are the three steps on how to secure your rights on a payment bond claim. So let's talk about how to secure your rights on a, uh, for a lien. And you'll see that they're very, very similar. So let's start by talking about who has lien rights. Laborers, that's John Smith, the carpenter, architects, engineers, and land surveyors, Contractors, that's anybody that has a direct contract with an owner. Subcontractors, sub-subcontractors, and material suppliers or rental companies either having a contract with an owner, a contractor, a subcontractor, or 
all the way down at the bottom, a sub subcontractor. So a material supplier to a sub subcontractor has lien rights. So who doesn't have lien rights? Material suppliers to material suppliers. So if GE sells switchgear equipment to ABC Electric, who then sells it to the job, ABC Electric has lien rights, uh, GE does not. And sub, sub, subcontractors do not have lien rights. So let's go through the steps. And again, this is going to seem very familiar to what we talked about with bond claims. Step one, within 45 days of your first work, you need to serve this notice to owner. Remembering, of course, that 45 days is the day, is the time in which it needs to be received by the owner, not when you send it. Um, so don't wait. Um, it, you do not need to send a notice to owner if you have a direct contract with the owner. But as I mentioned, my advice is that internally you decide a threshold and you just send notices if, if that um, contract exceeds or will exceed that threshold. Step two, no later than 90 days from your last work, you need to record a claim of lien in the public record where the project is located. Remembering, of course, that 90 days is not three months. You need to count every day, including weekends and legal holidays in between your last day of work and the 90th day. And you only get extra time if the 90th day itself lands on a weekend or legal holiday, at which point it rolls to the next business day. And last work does not include punch list or warranty work. Step three, within 15 days of recording the lien, you need to serve a copy on all interested parties. When you use Sunray, they do all of this for you. Uh, when they prepare your lien, they record it and they will serve a copy on everybody that's listed in the notice of commencement. Step four, if you have a direct contract with the owner, then you need to serve an additional document called the contractor's final affidavit. And that has to be done no later than five days before you file a lawsuit to foreclose on your lien, which is the next step we're going to talk about. What we do when we prepare liens for clients is we prepare the contractor's final affidavit at the same time as the lien when we know that our client happens to have a contract directly with the owner. So we do them at the same time. The contractor's final affidavit does not need to be recorded, it just needs to be served upon the owner. Finally, step five, no later than one year from the recording date of the claim of lien, you need to file a lawsuit to foreclose on the lien. The foreclosure of the lien is a legal process in which you file a civil action in court, and in that court action, you ask the court to sell the property um, so that any equity in the property can be used to pay you, the owner, uh, the owner of the lien. Um, and it will satisfy the lien, and, and if there's enough equity, you should be paid. Um, it's still a court process, so it's still subject to all of the issues and delays that most court proceedings have. So it's not that it happens quickly. It, it's still going to take many, many months. So what happens after I record a lien or make a bond claim? How do I get paid? This is a very... Um, common question I get. People perceive 
incorrectly that once you record a lien, like magical things happen, like the, the legal system is going to get to work for you so that you get paid. Far from it. The reality is, is that the bond claim and the lien are just the beginning of a process that you have to undertake yourself. No one's going to do it for you and um, may take a while to get to the end. So what else should you do to get paid? I suggest that you secure your lien rights and bond rights early. Do not wait to the last minute to do it. At the same time that you're doing that, you should be making phone calls, sending emails to get paid. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, and our most successful clients, our most, uh, the clients that we have that, that do best at collections do a lot of legwork on their own, phone calls, emails, um, bordering on harassment to get paid. That's what's going to get you paid. You should be willing to accept partial payments. Um, you know, we have some clients that have come to us and said, you know, they owe me $50,000 and they only want to pay me 20. So, well, take the 20, you know, let's fight over 30 instead of 50. Uh, you should always be willing to accept partial payments so long as that you are not giving a release beyond the amount of money that you're getting. So you don't want to take a $20,000 check on a $50,000 debt, sign a release that gives away all of your rights. You need to approach it very carefully. However, once you stop making progress um, at your collection efforts, um, that's when you need to consider hiring a construction attorney to take it to the next step, right? To go beyond what you can do and start using the legal system to exert additional leverage. So let me talk about what typically happens at that point. Step one is usually a demand letter. It's usually less about what the letter says, and it's more of the fact that you've now conveyed to the other side that you have hired a lawyer and that you are going to uh, pursue the claim uh, through the legal system. Many times the letter by itself gets um, gets you paid. Um, so it's a great way to start the uh, process of, of collecting your debt if you haven't been unsuccessful thus far on your own. If the demand letter doesn't work, the next step is a lawsuit. So the lawsuit can be based on several legal theories. Um, maybe you have a contract or credit app or purchase order. Um, maybe in addition to that, you have lien rights or a payment bond claim. The lawsuit is going to be brought against all the people that can be named in the case, um, asserting all of those legal theories. Sometimes we have clients that say, you know, I have a good relationship with my customer. Please leave them out of it. Just pursue the bond or lien claim. And that's perfectly acceptable. There's no obligation to pursue all of your rights. You can choose to pursue some of them and leave others alone. How does it work after that? So the lawyer prepares the paperwork, files it with the clerk, pays the filing fee, which is typically several hundred dollars, hires a process server or the sheriff to serve the paperwork on the other side. And then the, they, as defendants, have 20 days to respond to the complaint. That response could be many different things. I need more time. I'm still looking for a lawyer um, or your complaint 
didn't dot its I's and cross its T's, and therefore we're going to move to dismiss. Or they can answer the complaint and say, no, we deny it. Your product was no good. Your work was late. We had to supplement your forces. None of which has to be true, but they get to allege it. And then that's when the argument in court continues. The other thing that can happen is that they may not respond at all. If they fail to respond within the time allotted, the 20 days, you automatically win and they automatically lose. So you get what's called the default, um, which means that any remedy that you want, that you're willing to attest to in an affidavit, the court is going to give you. So if you say you're owed $50,000 and they don't respond, you'll get a judgment against the other side for $50,000. Um, the same is true with a foreclosure. If you foreclose on a piece of property and they don't respond, the owner doesn't respond, you'll move through with the foreclosure and actually have a public sale and sell the property. Um, just know that if you get a judgment, it's up to you to collect. So if you have a, you get a money judgment against the debtor, now it's up to you to seize their assets, garnish their accounts. Um, we do a lot of this work. Uh, it is not uh, hard, but sometimes it's expensive. Um, you know, the sheriff charges a fee uh, let's say you find that they have, uh, you know, equipment or inventory or vehicles um, to get the sheriff to show up. You pay them a fee. You have to publish it in the um, in a publication of general circulation in advance of executing on your judgment uh, to have the sale. Anything you pick up, you don't just get to keep. It has to go to a bonded warehouse for public auction. You have to pay for that warehouse. You have to pay for the towing company. You have to pay for the uh, auctioneer to sell it. Um, so typically, this only makes sense when there's enough equity in whatever you're taking to uh, make it worth the expense associated with doing all of this work. That being said, many times the threat alone of um, taking someone's stuff is enough to get them to pay. We have stories of. Uh, us attempting to collect debts where we show up with a box truck in front of a, a, a company's uh, office and warehouse with the sheriff standing there and and miraculously the other side is able to come up with some money to avoid us having to go in and, and effectively take all their stuff so uh you know you don't actually have to go through with it you just have to make the other side believe that you're about to go through with it as I mentioned, if they do respond, their lawyer or they, or they, if they are individuals, but again, if, if it's a company, they have to respond with a lawyer, they can assert whatever defenses that they want. They can even file a counterclaim against you. Um, most cases settle, but usually to go to trial takes anywhere from six to 18 months, longer because of the pandemic, unfortunately, from the time that they were filed. Um, in that time period, lots of things happen. Parties exchange documents. They ask each other written questions that have to be answered. They take depositions. They may hire experts. Again, a contested case uh, can be very, very expensive. Um, but as I said, almost every case settles. Um, and many times, it's the pressure that is brought to bear by the legal system and the, forcing the other side to have to deal with it and spend money that causes the case to settle. So while you may be hesitant to incur the cost, 
just know that many times if you do nothing, the other side won't do anything. Uh, you have to force them to come to the table to negotiate with you if you've tried everything and nothing else works. Thanks. Have a great day, everybody.